Hello and welcome to Football Scotland Daily, the podcast that brings you all the big news, analysis and debate Monday to Friday, just in time for your daily commute. I'm Johnny McFarlane and today I'm joined by Adam Miller and Gaby Mackay. How are you doing? Hello. I couldn't think of a witty description for either of you today, unfortunately. I'm creatively bereft. Never mind. On the pod today as Neil Lennon tells Craig Gordon to stake his claim to be Celtic's number one. We ask if the Parkhead club will soon be looking for a new keeper. Gary Dicker has shot down talk of a rugby park revolt. We look at how Sunday's game could change the mood music around Angelo Alessio. And Ollie McBurney looks set to become the most expensive Scottish player in history. So we're going to start with Celtic goalkeepers. Gaby, you've written a piece today on Football Scotland looking at the detail surrounding who should be picked by Neil Lennon and the stats from last season. Um, Lennon made some comments uh, in the press conference uh, yesterday. He said, um, it's too early for me to make an assessment on who's going to be number one. It's a good opportunity. Craig Gordon has a chance of starting as well, referring to the game against um, Nom Kalju. Is that the correct pronunciation? I have no idea. Um, he didn't play when I came in due to a knee problem, but he's over that now and he's training well, so we'll see how we go with the two of them. Craig has really impressed me in training and in the bounce games that we've played, and Scott has been brilliant for me. Since I came in, he's been absolutely outstanding. It's something we'll gauge as we go along. It's not going to I'm not going to treat Scott Bain badly if he's performing well as he has done, then it's not a difficult thing to keep the momentum going that way. I'll probably go with gut instinct as we go along, and Stevie Woods will be important in that as well, but I don't want to turn this into a pissing match between the two of them. I don't want to put any pressure on either of them. I've got the luxury of having two very good goalkeepers at the minute, and if called upon, I'm sure either of them will come in and do a terrific job for me. And this is probably, for me, the most interesting part. He says, kicking is far less of a factor for me. I like my goalkeepers to keep the ball out of the net, and I've got two who are very, very good at that. So... Lennon has made a play, Gaby, about um, being more direct, changing the style under Rodgers, and it appears, with his goalkeepers, that's going to be part of his long-term philosophy. Absolutely, and that's obviously a big thing when you consider that a big part of the reason I think everybody knows is that why Bain came in in the second half of last season is that Gordon can struggle with the ball on the deck to play that kind of style that Rodgers likes to play, so... When I looked at the stats earlier, you know, he does kick the ball long a lot more often. His pass completion isn't as good. He doesn't receive the ball as much because he's obviously just not as comfortable doing that, which you can understand because he's a 36-year-old goalkeeper. I think, obviously, goalkeepers played with the ball before, but in the modern game, it's much more than in the past. The the goalkeeper has to kind of be involved in, in the build-up, and I think Gordon struggles with that a bit. But it was interesting to hear Lennon say that, you know, he just basically wants a goalkeeper to be a goalkeeper. He cares more about what they do with their hands than their feet. And that obviously has opened the door for Craig Gordon, who we think is going to play tonight. Um, Although, looking at the stats, it's not just that, you know, the obvious things are, if you look at the stats, yeah, Bain's better with the ball at his feet, he's better passing, Craig Gordon's a bit more commanding in the box. We all know that just looking at them. But interestingly, there wasn't really much between them um, in terms of actual shot stopping. I think, and I'm going to I'm going to use a phrase that is going to have people tearing the hair out. Adam among them. Hmm. Um, if you look at the expected conceded goals against the conceded what, goals, what? this what? is the sound of me slamming my headset down <laughs> in disgust. Gordon's was brus- his expected conceding goals and his actual conceded goals were basically the same, which basically means that he's on par with what you'd expect from a purely statistical basis. Whereas Bain's numbers were actually slightly better. He actually conceded fewer goals than 
you would expect on a statistical basis. So at the moment, based on that, and you can't base it solely on that, there are other things because, you know, the expecting conceded goals could be bad finishing from the strikers. It doesn't necessarily mean the goalkeeper's pulling off worldies every week. But based on things like that, and the percentage of shots saved, his was slightly lower than Gordon's, but around the same level. Based on that, he is actually, in terms of just being a goalie and doing your job, he's actually, at the moment, looks like he is the better goalkeeper in the better form. Adam, is this uh, perhaps Craig Gordon, a keeper who is um, 37 years old now and he's perhaps performing to a level you'd expect of his age? He is coming to a stage in his career where he should be the second choice keeper. He should be settling into that role as backup. I think goal, I think goalkeeper is maybe the one position where you can get away with playing at a very high level at uh, an old age. I mean, for want of a better example, Alan McGregor, um, he's a lot older than Wes Fodringham, but Gerard clearly preferred McGregor, and you can understand that, despite the fact that at times last season McGregor was acting like a guy a third of his age. Um, in terms of shot-stopping ability, that I don't think leaves you. Um, I think I think part of this comes down to the whole thing with Neil Lennon of being a you know quote unquote proper football man. Doesn't he's not interested in building from the back. Um, you know, keeping the ball in the deck and all the rest of it, which was very important to Rodgers. Um, however, I do agree with the with part of what Lennon's saying, which is the most important role of a goalkeeper is to keep the ball out of the net. And personally, I would always trust Craig Gordon more than I would Scott Bain with that kind of thing. I, I've got no uh, nothing against Scott Bain. I think he's a very good goalkeeper and he's done a good job for Celtic. But I think, you know, I, I think... And Scott Bain's got a lot of years left in his career, but I think if you get to the end of Scott Bain's career and the end of Craig Gordon's career, I think it's only Craig Gordon that you'd probably be able to find a YouTube montage of shots that he shouldn't have saved and managed to save. And I think that's the one thing Craig Gordon has over Bain. While the statistics might not be wildly different in terms of um, how many saves he's made or expected saves or whatever, I think if a long-range dig comes in and it looks beyond the goalkeeper's reach. I think the only goalkeeper there who you're thinking, actually, he might still stop this is Craig Gordon. Mm. Yeah, I think I think that's absolutely the case. There certainly was early in his career. I mean, as Johnny says, he is 36, 37. Now is he 37? Yeah. yeah. Um, so you do start to lose a little bit of that agility. Now, obviously, as a goalkeeper, you can then adjust. So as you, throughout your career, you, you know your positioning will get better, your anticipation will get better because I'm you have on a that experience. Gianluigi Buffon example coming here. Well, I that, feel like it's coming. Do you feel? I, it? I almost, I almost referenced it myself and totally forgot to. So, uh, <laughs> so you know, as Gigi Buffon says. <laughs> Well, he has actually said that you know that when you lose your agility, you can compensate for it by positioning and stuff. So, correct, I was going to bring up Buffon as always, but the 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 point stands. But at a certain point, obviously, time catches up with everyone, and you have to remember that Gordon has had he was out for best part of three seasons with a pretty serious knee injury, and he obviously had a knee injury towards the end of last season at Celtic. So you'd think that that having serious knee problems would affect your sort of your spring as a goalkeeper and it might make you make you less agile um I agree with Adam that I think you know certainly in his prime before the injuries he was he was an absolutely fantastic goalkeeper but now as we stand is he a better goalkeeper I'm not sure I mean I didn't think he was bad last season in fact the 
the Europa League game was at Rosenborg where he made an absolute howler but he'd actually kept Celtic in the game before that he was brilliant in that game and then unfortunately absolutely sold one I think it was Rosenborg you know the one where he rolled it out to yeah. the guy's feet people people will correct me but he was brilliant in that game before he did it so I don't think he was bad that season but it probably is getting to the point where he's coming toward the end of his career although having said that if he's missed three seasons which we know he has then he might want to go and play having missed a big chunk of his earlier career he might not be happy to be a number two we've kind of touched on the elements of Neil Lennon as anachronism which is a continuing theme of this pre-season I think Celtic fans are talking about it a lot on social media it's part of the reason perhaps they were less than enraptured by the idea of him coming back to Parkhead Adam do you think that in a sense that he has a problem with the the PR message around this stuff in that it does kind of portray him as a little bit of a dinosaur. It's okay for him to be able to say, I want to make Celtic more um, direct, more, get the ball into the into the final third quicker, but I don't want to become a long ball team. That's not what he's trying to do. But do you think sometimes the message gets lost and, and, and these, these these little strands get picked up upon, like this one here where he's saying, kicking's not important to me. It seems at odds with the way football's going. Possibly, yeah. And I think... Uh I, I think the thing with Lennon is I don't think he really cares about what people's perception of his style of play is. I think Lennon, even if every single game of this season is a turgid 1-0 win, he will point at the end of it and say, on the trophy, it doesn't say how we won the games, it just says that we won the games. I don't think Lennon's particularly bothered about what people's perception on, say, social media is. And we've talked before about the kind of social media bubble. That's where I get most of my kind of... Uh, idea of what people are talking about with you know talk to friends and look at social media I, I, you know and I think there is a very very large chunk of the Celtic support that believes you know that, that Lennon is not the most forward-thinking choice as a manager um, but there is also a large element of the Celtic support that, that will constantly just point to he's won this he's won this so shut up um, and I think the truth is probably somewhere in the middle there. And I, I don't think Lennon's that bothered if you say he's a dinosaur for, you know, playing it long. Gabe, I was talking to a Celtic supporting friend today and he was talking about the club's decision to replace Jack Lyons, who's a young analyst who made a name for himself on Twitter. He'd written a number of stats pieces and then got into the club. Where I think um, Brendan Rodgers had, seen, had read some of this stuff brought him into the club and he was very highly thought of and they've replaced him with Peter Houston. And uh, my friend was suggesting that this is part of the problem at Celtic is that they, they under Rodgers, they went down a, a younger, more modern approach and they've gone back to maybe 10 years ago how they would do things. And he sees it as a, as a regression, whereas Rangers um, seem to be going down that, that route that is taking Premier League standards and applying them to the club. Do you think there's anything in that? Well, there might be. I mean, I think part of it's probably just perception. I'm sure Lennon and stuff, I'm sure they do do a lot of work with video analysis and stuff. But, you know, this is a country that freaked out because Ian Cathro had a laptop. <laughs> so I think in yeah. Scotland, there is a general suspicion of people with numbers and laptops and clipboards. And I think Lennon, I think he's probably a lot less of, a, of an anachronism than he sort of likes to play out. I think it sort of fits with his brand is the wrong word but his brand his image is that you know he's sort of a no-nonsense sort of proper football man whereas I'm sure he does watch videos and look at scouting reports and look at stats and stuff I mean I'm sure he knows what an expected goal is even if he'd never admit it in public 
Yeah, I actually spent a little bit of time talking to Neil Lennon when I was doing the Hibs documentary that we did when I worked for the Dealer Records. And um, he was uh, bang up to date with all all those elements of recruitment. Well, that was the, the documentary was focused on recruitment. So, yeah, I don't think I think Gabe is actually a hundred percent spot on. I think it's more about a, a delivering a perception of what Neil Lennon's like rather than the actual the actual truth of the matter. Um, Celtic were linked with Freddie Woodman, a keeper that you know well, Gabe, because he played for Kilmarnock. Now, uh, Lennon's poo-pooed that, essentially, at the press conferences, so um, I think uh, that one is a no-brainer. But so we've had Lennon poo-pooing after a pissing match. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll just scrap that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, just, I'm trying to wrap my head around that, yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, That's about 14 minutes, that. Yeah, 14 minutes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, Gaby, do you think that um, there is any need to bring in a new goalkeeper at Celtic Park, or do you think they should stick with those two that they already have? I think it would depend a lot on whether Gordon is happy to, well, either be back up or to compete for his shot. As I said earlier, he missed about three seasons of his career with injury, so it's completely understandable if he, at this point, when he's coming towards the end of his career, wants to be playing as much as possible. So if he wants to move on, then... It would be absolutely understandable, I think, and they'd have to get another goalkeeper in. But as things stand, I think both Bain and Gordon would start for most Premiership teams. Well, yeah, one team that they would almost certainly start for is Kilmarnock. That's my best link. Good, very good. Thank you, thank you. Adam's just sitting silent. He's just <laughs> not, not giving me any, anything. And uh, over at Kelly, there's been a bit of tumult, it's fair to say. Certainly um, in the aftermath of their defeat by Connors Key Nomads in the first qualifying round of the Europa League. Um, Gary Dicker has been talking about that in the press. He said, I don't think there's anyone in the dressing room that can do that. He's talking about causing a stushy over the new manager coming in. He says, you're probably thinking about players who are on 150 grand a week who can do what they want. There's no one in that dressing room who can afford to down tools and strut about and do what they want. I don't know who's getting that information, but they are wide of the mark. You don't get anywhere on your own in this game. If there is one or two that don't want to be there, you will quickly find them out. We have a good dressing room, a good core of players who have been there before, and everyone is pulling in the same direction. I don't think there's one player in that dressing room that isn't. We are all in it together. It's always hard... What probably makes it more, a bit more different is when you change manager and you're not doing well and when you have competitive games straight away. The break is getting shorter and you need to come in and hit the ground running and get results straight away. Listen, there are no two managers the same out there. It just takes time. Uh, and referencing uh, Alessio's English, he says, I think his English is a lot better than people probably think it is. Football has its own language. I played with enough foreign players. There's enough players in this league that can't speak English, and I don't think it's an issue. So, Gaby, you've been uh, following a lot of the comment and conjecture around Kilmarnock um, over the last couple of weeks. Where is your uh, thought process uh, as to where Kilmarnock stand at the moment? Well, I think the season hasn't started yet. We have to remember that. I think they definitely need to get some more players in. It's a very thin squad after the players that left. They've only signed two, Brunescu, the goalkeeper, and El McCreaney, the midfielder, who's a defensive midfielder, which a lot of Kelly fans probably say is not a position that really needed strengthened. So there's obviously work to be done on that front. But I do think that some of the reaction to uh, Alessio so far after the 
elimination to Connors Key Nomads, which was <coughs> which was obviously a terrible result. But as I think I said in the aftermath of it, it was a bit of a freak result. Connors Key had two shots on target across the two legs and went through. Um, Gaby knows because he suffered through every minute I of it. I did suffer through every minute of it. So you've got a guy who's come in, he's had two games, one of which he won, by the way, and you've already got some people, um, you know, fans, media, whoever, uh, calling for him to be sacked, which I think is just absolutely ridiculous, you know, saying that based based on that, that he won't do. And I think we have to be honest, a lot of that is parochialism in Scottish football. A lot of that is because he's a foreign manager and he doesn't speak perfect English, although as Gary Dicker says, his English isn't actually terrible. But because he doesn't speak perfect English and because he's not someone we know and he's a bit of a funny foreigner, people are sort of wanting rid of him. I mean, I haven't seen the same issues being raised about Jim Goodwin after a really terrible start at St Mirren. So we'll have to see. It may well turn out that Alessio's reign is a disaster, but I think, you know, to be judging it that way now. To be fair, I suppose the reason that there isn't that about St Mirren, number one, St Mirren aren't as big a club as Kilmarnock. And number two, St Mirren were a basket case last season that only just scraped over the line against a pretty terrible Dundee United side. Whereas Kelly were exceptional last season. So it, it, it's more, isn't it, to be fair, the level to which they have fallen from a great height. Whereas St Mirren... Uh, after, after two games. I mean, there's only been two games, one of which uh, they won. Absolutely, and I agree with you, it's ridiculous. I'm just saying that... that so you that, don't think there's any element of this that is because he's a foreign manager? Um, I think it's easier for people to criticise someone who they don't know, uh, they don't understand his methods, they don't know what he's going to do. We don't know anything about um, Angelo Alessio. I think that's that's that and that perhaps ble- uh, bleeds into the, the fact that he's foreign, but I don't believe it's xenophobia. I think it's just a case of if you have Brian Rice take over at a club or John Hughes, you know what they can do. You've seen them in action. You've seen them at press conferences. You know what these guys are generally going to do. That's that's the difference. Yeah, there isn't think, that knowledge. Yeah, but I, th- I mean, I think I don't think I said xenophobia. I think I said parochialism, which I think is probably what you're describing. Is yeah. that well, I know him. I know what he does, so he's fine. But he's a bit weird because I, I'm not familiar with him, and his English isn't perfect. Although if we're talking about John Hughes, if we're talking about people whose English isn't <laughs> perfect, then you know. But yeah, I'll, fine, whatever. We can agree to disagree. I don't think he would be getting the same treatment if he was a Scottish manager, if he was a well Kent face. But mm-hmm. whatever. Um, We'll have to see how things go, but I, I do think the reaction's been overblown. And, you know, breaking news for people on the podcast, they did just beat Motherwell 3-1 in a friendly, so uh, maybe that maybe that now means that Europe is back on, having beaten Motherwell, but I don't know. But, yeah, I mean, obviously it's a really tough start against Rangers on Sunday. Gibby, I'm, I'm just going to stick with you for one, one last question before I move over to Adam on this. The players that have actually left Kilmarnock... It was always going to be a very, very difficult pre-season. Even if Steve Clark stayed, Tishbola, Malumbu, Boyd. I know Boyd didn't play a lot last season, but his influence in the dressing room would have been huge. Anyone coming in, even if Steve Clark had stayed, there would have been massive tumult. Is that a fair point? Yeah, it absolutely is. And it was similar last summer when Clark was there, that a lot of the business was done late in the window. The difference, obviously, was that you're playing in the League Cup group stages and they did get through that. Rather than playing in Europe, it obviously seems like much more of a disaster if you're playing in Europe for the first time in 18 years and you you know you get one trip to Wales out of it. But it was always going to be a big task, as you say, if Clark had stayed with the players that have left. And if you've got a budget like Kilmarnock, you probably do have to do your business a bit later in the window because you don't want to go out and spend the limited budget you have and then have a player you want to become available towards the end of the window, maybe when the English window shuts, for example. So I think it was always whoever came in, as well as having to go up against that Steve Clark record, 
they were going to have to deal with a sort of decimated squad. The thing about this, Adam, is that Kelly can change everything in terms of the mood music. They go in on Sunday, they get a draw, they win. They put in a good performance against a highly fancied Rangers side and all of a sudden everything dies. All this chat dies, doesn't it? Yeah, I think I, I think it's hard to read too much. As much as uh, when there's such a dearth of storylines before the season starts, it's, it's intriguing to come out with a take about how Alessio's this massive flop or whatever. I think uh, you see so many upsets this early in the European qualifiers precisely because you've got teams with new managers and new players that haven't had enough time training together, learning new systems, managers finding out who their best players are and all the rest of it and I think leaving the fact that Alessio's a new manager out of it I think the Kelly players need to take a lot of the blame for what happened. Alessio had only had two games to implement his new style which is clearly different from Steve Clark's and then you had, uh, although they have lost some players, Kelly, you had players on the pitch the, uh, the other week in that game against Connors Key Nomads who were perfectly capable last season of turning it on against Celtic Rangers and whoever else and helping Kilmarnock to a historic, brilliant season. <coughs> Those are the same guys that let them down massively against Connors Key. And Alessio can only take so much blame for it when it's his second game in charge. Um, again, I think his English isn't terrible by any stretch of the imagination. I don't see communication being a massive problem with the players, particularly given he's got Donati in there with them as well. Um, so I, I, I think uh, they're capable of getting a result against Rangers because there are a lot of players there from last season who proved that they could get a result against Rangers. No reason why they're not suddenly not capable of doing that again. Um, if they do get off to a bad start and lose by a couple of goals to Rangers I, I still don't think it's the right time to be panicking about this guy um, I think they are capable of getting the result at the weekend, whether that happens or not is another story, but I still think this early in a completely different manager from a completely different background into his this early in his reign I think it's too early to be writing the guy off Should, um, you know Rugby Park has, in the last few years, been a difficult place to go for Rangers, they haven't actually won a league game at Rugby Park since 2011 they lost both games last season so it's not traditionally been a, a happy hunting ground for Rangers and so I think with this sort of narrative that Kelly are in a shambles and it's been a disaster, that there's a lot of people kind of thinking, well, you know, that'll be a sort of turn up and, and win Rangers. Rangers can put a marker down and win 4-0. Exactly, which, exactly. You, know, you do get that sense, but yeah. as you say, it's a, it's a dangerous sense with, uh, with when it comes to Kelly. Gabby, one of the things that I want to touch on is just this idea that, that Alessio's been wrong to try and change the style of football at Kilmarnock. Um, for me, if you look at what, Billy Bowie said he's 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 trying to rebuild that club from the, from the ground up, um, and I can kind of understand why he would have been attracted to someone who would come in and say, actually, what we're going to do is build a completely different style of play, one that's very attractive. If you're trying to bring in people from the surrounding area, the local the local town to come and watch football, it's always going to be more attractive if it is exciting, entertaining football. Do you think? It was. It is the right time, or do you do you agree with those who have criticised that and have said, you know, the players that are there are suited to this certain style of play that Steve Clark has implemented? 
Well, I think once again you have to consider that there only have there have only been two games, both of which were against a part-time Welsh team. So you're going to always have to dominate the ball and be on the front foot in those games. I wouldn't expect Kamarnock to play that way against Rangers. I think Alessio said the other day that he isn't actually trying to change too much. He's obviously trying to subtly change it. Yep, more building from the back, maybe a bit more expansive. But on Sunday, I would not expect Kelly to be playing with the fullbacks pushed up on the halfway line like they did against Connors Key in both legs. I wouldn't expect Kelly to have 70% possession of the ball like they did against Connors Key. I'd expect it will be similar to what we saw from Clark last season. So I think the idea, it would be the evolution, not revolution, that not to tear up the, the sort of Steve Clark playbook, but to slowly maybe introduce more of his own ideas. And I think if you do that well enough, if you do that intelligently enough, and we'll see if Alessio can do that, we don't know yet, then it would then it can definitely be a good thing because as you say, playing attract I mean playing winning football attracts people first and foremost, but playing attractive football does obviously help. Okay, well, we're moving on to the English Premier League. Don't worry, not in in huge amounts of detail, but we're going to touch on the fact that Ollie McBurney, the Scottish international, is set to sign for Sheffield United in what would be a record for a Scottish player, £20 million deal. Now, that caused some consternation. A few raised eyebrows at the Football Scotland desk earlier on, not least my own. Uh, I think he's a very good player, but £20 million seems extraordinary. Um, Adam, what, can you name a couple of players you think would be better suited to that kind of valuation that are uh, currently plying their trade in the Scottish Premiership? Florian Kimberry, maybe? <laughs> that's, that's, that's a, I don't know. I mean, I've, I've only seen this guy play for Scotland. I can't comment with any authority, but uh, judging by the reaction of people, 20 million does seem a bit obscene. But I've given up trying to understand transfer fees in the current climate now. Um, even a few years ago, you could have known what a 20 million player would get you now 20 million could mean anything and uh, if he's at this moment the most expensive Scottish player that probably won't last Scott McTominay or someone will probably get a move in a year's John time McGinn. John McGinn yeah. well John McGinn yeah uh, John John McGinn's probably even going by the clip that was doing the rounds the other day of a brilliant goal he scored in pre-season I don't see McGinn staying at Villa for the next couple of years unless uh, you know, unless he gets some ridiculous offer, I think he'll be off in the next couple of years as well, and that would certainly, almost certainly, be for more than twenty million. So uh, I think the McBurney one's a controversial one, but it won't be a record that lasts long. Remember when Chelsea completed the mega buck signing of Ballon d'Or winner Andrei Shevchenko for thirty million? <laughs> yeah. yeah, and now Ollie McBurney is a twenty million pound player. I mean, I remember yeah. when Pavel Nedved was twenty four million now. Ollie McBurney, as many international goals as Colin Nish, Ollie McBurney is a £20 million player. It's insanity. I don't think he's a bad player. He's obviously a good goal scorer. I wish he'd pull his socks up. He looks silly. But £20 million? I mean, you, so, and you look at Arsenal won't obviously meet the <laughs> meet the valuation Celtic have of £25 million for Kieran Tierney. Well, you can see why Celtic are going, we want £25 million for Kieran Tierney when a guy like McBurney's going for £20 million quid. Right. I know he's a striker and they always cost more before you say, but you know what I mean. Yeah, Lee Griffiths, for example, right? I know he's had his problems, but if you go back two years to when he scored 40-odd goals, if somebody had said Celtic are, are, are prepared to sell, but only for £20 million, it would have set off a cacophony of laughter that would have drowned out every other noise in Scotland for, for, for weeks. You know, people would have been thinking that was ridiculous. But Lee Griffiths is a far better player than Ollie McBurney, in my opinion. 
Yeah, I, I agree with you. Yeah, I mean, McBurney's younger, and obviously, as we know, Griffiths has had some personal problems, which obviously we're not going to get into. But absolutely, if you're going on pure talent, I think I think he is. But it's just that the money is so inflated down there in England now. There's so much money that obviously you look around the continent, all clubs want to sell to English clubs because they know they have huge amounts of money and they can ask ridiculous prices for their players and English clubs will pay it. And especially now when their transfer window is closing earlier than everyone else's, it just, I mean, it just, I mean, it's a really bizarre move to sort of unilaterally go, we'll end our transfer window early so that if you're Swansea, obviously their transfer window closes at the same time as Sheffield United's, but if you're Swansea, you can go, well, you've got two weeks, so he's going to cost you 20 million and eventually they'll pay it. Or if you're an Italian, Spanish, French, Scottish club and a Premier League team wants your player, Kieran Tierney is probably a prime example, you can say, well, look, we've got a month after, uh, until our transfer window closes. You've got two weeks. It's 25 million or it's 30 million or it's 40 million for whoever the player is. Pay up if you want. And English clubs, A, have so much money and B, now have huge time constraints that they're probably going to do it. Yeah, it's actually good though to see that and we've actually seen what Gaby's suggesting with, with a number of players that, that Scottish clubs now aren't cowed into selling to English opposition. Uh, this might be a factor in that they, they know they have time now to, to get a replacement, but um, Scottish clubs for years, I think, have, have needed to be a bit smarter when it comes to being based next to that behemoth and trying to be like Portugal are with Spain to um, make sure that you get the King's Ransom that you deserve because of your proximity. Well, I think Celtic this summer have tried to make a point of not allowing themselves to be bullied by Arsenal. I think there's been an assumption, and you can see that even on social media today, there's still Arsenal fans being quite vocal about this, just waiting for Celtic to roll over, as if that's how all transfer activity between (laughs) English and Scottish clubs should take place. Um, I still, as I've said all summer, I still think Tierney will end up at Arsenal, but I think Celtic are well aware of what Tierney is worth to them. And they're not going to let themselves just cave at the you know at the first offer. We've seen that now. There's been two or three rejected offers. Um, so I think there is a slight shift in mentality now. Um, and hopefully, if you know in future cases where English teams go sniffing after players from Scottish clubs, players it, those clubs can look at what Celtic have done here and go, you don't have to be bullied by the big English teams. I think my favourite one I've seen just on, just quickly on, that kind of, you know, Premier League fans who I think they treat the transfer window as if it's an actual football match. There was one I saw, I can't remember which team it was, I can't remember, but they were trying to sign a player from Serie A and someone like tweeted, ah, oh, these, these Italian clubs, they, they, they offer you peanuts for their players and demand huge money for them. And it's like, what, they try and buy players for as little as possible and try and sell them <laughs> for as much as possible. Imagine that. <laughs> just, just out of curiosity, Gabe, you didn't happen to listen to the podcast yesterday, did you? Yes, I did, yes. And uh, well, what's your reaction to the gentleman that said, Napoli? Who are Napoli? Yeah, um, I, ne- well, I was driving in this morning, I nearly didn't make it, I nearly crashed the car. <laughs> I mean, Napoli, what, the, the second best team in Italy, a proud club, Diego Maradona, Scudetto winners. Carlo Ancelotti, one of the best managers <laughs> of this generation, is their manager. Lorenzo Insigne, Eric Milik, Callejon. They've got some great players in there. Diddies, mate. Diddies. That's all from us here at Football Scotland for today. We'll be back tomorrow before 4pm, just in time to make your daily work commute that little bit more bearable. You can get more from us at the Football Scotland website, on our social media channels, on Facebook or Twitter at football underscore Scott. To ask a question or to make a comment to us individually, you can get me at Johnny R. McFarlane. You can get Gaby at Gaby McKay. And you can get Adam at Old Fun Facts 1. Until tomorrow, thanks for listening.